0: Please pronounce your name correctly for me
1: okay so my name is uh, pia eikos and it kind of sounds greek eikos but, it uh, but it's from the west of norway it's from a small hamlet in yelsta
0: sure Greek, yeah. norwegian whatever
1: yeah same no. same,
0: same yeah. yeah all right so now you work in various different disciplines throughout the arts but currently you're also working on a project for a public arts program which is a sort of of interest in this in this conversation so what is this project and how did you get involved in it?
1: Uh, So the project uh, that I'm working on with MSN which is like a public art project now in Oslo S temporary one it's called Shave Kop and it started in Kristiansand last year, uh, so it's like a collective with me and another artist called You uh, Abuslan, and then Christina from Essen.
0: I'm sorry, it's me and you.
1: It's me and you. <laughs> sorry. Okay, so it's me, Piaikos, You uh, Abuslan, and Christina Vessel from Essen. Uh, we started this project called Scheivkop, which is basically. Um, making ceramic cups that we dedicate to queer icons or like queer people that we like and we like them not because they're queer but because they are like great thinkers artists and just like brilliant people so it's like uh, yeah we we make these ceramic cups based on a lot of research and we write these texts and we also have like these photographs of the cups and that's uh, something we did in Christensen last year and we gave, we made like 400 cups dedicated to 40 different like queer role models. It's is like a bad word for me but like queer icons it's better because um, I think role model is problematic. But um,
0: Why is role model problematic?
1: Because it kind of sets this standard or idea of someone having to be perfect in all respects. And, oh, I don't know, maybe like I'm just, this is just how I think about the word. So I think Icon is better, or just like brilliant queer people that we want to celebrate, Um, yeah. But we made, yeah, we made 400 cups dedicated to 40 different uh, queer brilliant people. Um, Just
0: to be clear, to try and give a visualization to the listeners, how do you dedicate a cup
1: yeah, so that's a good question. So we spent a lot of time researching each of these people, and like a lot of them, for me, like a lot of them were already people that were important to me in my practice, like James Baldwin, Audrey Lorde, and so on. And so we use like the kind of research to um, make a cup, and then you know, we have like the color, the shape. So it could just be something like, did they like to drink wine? Then we make like a ceramic cup. That looks a bit like a wine cup for example and there could be text on it that we uh, kind of get into the cup and that could be from one of their texts or whatever so we spend a lot of time on each of the cups or like to yeah have some kind of not representation but just like some hints to that person uh, and then we have their name also um, etched into it so yeah so that's how we do it
0: isn't, uh, what, 2023, like, it's the year of something in the arts that's relevant to, like, queer interests, well, isn't it?
1: 2022, this is it, year. Oh, it's 2022. It's, like, uh, like, queer culture year in Norway. Cause okay. Because it's, like, 50 years since they got rid of the law criminalizing sex between men. Um But
0: sex between women had no law? Yeah, because
1: they don't care about women. (laughs) We're not even important enough to be, like, considered in a law. Because there's, like, women, do they have sexuality? I don't think so. Like, so when two women are together, it's just, like, they're just, we we can't even, because men make these laws, right? So they're, like, "Ah, that doesn't make any sense. Like, women, yeah. So so the women were never included. But, like, I think it's, I think. uh, So
0: technically it was legal
1: for women to have um,
0: sexual relations because it wasn't illegal
1: well technically I mean there's probably some law somewhere that would have given like the government the chance to uh, incriminate women as well but but this particular law was just between men and and one of the uh, like queer icons that we dedicated a cup to is Kim Frele and she was like an activist working really hard to she was the first openly gay person in Norway and she was the first she was like one of the four uh, like four women to work against this law, and basically she's she's the reason why we don't um have this law anymore because of her work yeah.
0: All right. I've had previous conversations with other Norwegian artists, queer Norwegian artists, to be specific, about this uh, year of—I'm uh, not even sure how to phrase it—like year of queer art. Like it's I don't, like uh, queer culture, queer culture year, queer culture year?
1: Yeah, like directly translated. Yeah.
0: H- how do you feel about that? The fact that there is and they felt should be a year for dedicated to queer art culture.
1: Well. I think it's kind of... it's For me, it's like... Um, it's like kind of double. It's like... It's really amazing that there's so much money and uh, awareness on this. And awareness that it's only 50 years since, you know, you could get... Uh, you, you could get like incriminated by just being gay. Or like a gay man. man. Uh, <laughs> but then... Gay women's fine. Gay, gay women's fine. fine yeah. Or like that doesn't even exist. So we're not going to talk about that. But... Um, and all, like, this whole, like, I think, I mean, so it's it's kind of, it's it's good in one way, and then there's also, like, I mean, our project was last year, because it happened, it came from, like, Kristiansand, which is still, like, super homophobic, small Christian conservative town where I grew up, and where uh, my partner uh, in this project, you also grew up, and we were there uh, because of, I was there because of corona, uh, kind of in between Copenhagen and Oslo, and... Um, and we did this project because we wanted the city to be more open. And but we did it last year because it was like, okay, we need to do this. And then we have done like, I think maybe like 50 workshops for like teenagers in the city, like creating awareness on like these issues of um, like the queer history in Norway and like all these amazing people that lived and have lived and how they have they have been treated. Like we talked about. Alan Turing and, you know, a lot of people. So we tried to create more awareness. And then That this, name I know. That name, yeah. because And Tove Jansson. I mean, there's so many amazing people. Virginia Woolf. I mean, there's so many great people.
0: Virginia Woolf, I know.
1: You know, yeah. yeah. So many great people who were like doing all these amazing things. Uh, and they were also queer. And then some of them, uh, especially men, like with Alan Turing, I mean, he basically saved Europe and he saved so many lives. And then he was like chemically castrated by the government because he was gay. I mean, it's like, it's so insane. And people don't know this. And it's like, people need to know this. That
0: whole chemical castration thing, that's within our lifetime. There are still people alive that either had that done to them or, well, let's say could have had that done to them. Like, that's ridiculous that humanity was still at that place within my lifetime.
1: Yeah. Yeah, right. Like, my, uh, my friend, you that I work with, he's like, uh, he's a trans uh, guy. When he started tra- uh, transitioning, like, a few years ago, he got the diagnosis that he was mentally ill, because trans people were still getting that, like, just, you know, five years ago or something. And also on the day, you know, there was this marking, sorry, this, now it's becoming like a queer pod. <laughs> but this, the, on the day that the Norwegian government issued, like, an apology, to how they have treated, like, gay people in Norway, they also reversed a lot of steps towards the trans community. Like, in, they put all these, like, processes, like, uh, treatments on hold, like getting testosterone and getting, like, this evaluations and stuff so so we're like joking like in 50 years they're gonna do the same for trans people they're gonna to have to the government ha- have to like come with a official apology i mean i hope it's earlier but you know that's the seems to be the pace that things are going in um yeah so but back to the back to the project like in here in oslo s uh,
0: and back to you and your art yes
1: yeah so they. So the project here in Oslo S is like, that's part of Masen, is Project Kunstreisen. We have all the photographs of the cups. Okay,
0: but hold on one second. Let's yeah. go back a step because okay. a lot of listeners aren't from this region. Yeah. Oslo S.
1: Oslo S, the central station in Oslo. There we go. The international tra- transport hub that... Thousands, ninety thousand people a day go through.
0: It's the train station, the central train station. Yeah, so because the airplanes don't land there. Right? No, <laughs> so yeah, it's a train
1: station. That could be funny if there's like, or like helicopters. So
0: well, it's possible helicopters land there. Helicopters land anywhere.
1: Yeah, so that's the next step in Norway. People are getting so rich. We're going to have like helico- helipad in Oslo. S.
0: You're assuming that it's not already there.
1: Yeah, because I've been there so much, so I haven't seen it. So okay. I i it. I don't think it's there, but yeah
0: but you're not of the class that wouldn't know where it is.
1: <laughs> That's true. I'm a working class kid. No, I'm, yeah, middle class probably, um, something like that, but um, yeah.
0: All right, let's take a step back. I generally also <laughs> skipped over my entire sort of like, so how did you become an artist? Were your parents creative, some schooling, some life experience? Like what led you down the path to even come to being an artist?
1: Um. So, I mean, it has nothing to do with my family. My dad's an engineer, uh, worked in the oil industry for like many, many years. And uh, I mean, I think it was just like um, probably growing up in a conservative Christian town. It was, uh, everything felt like off in all senses. And then I started finding like artists, music, literature, that kind of... Uh, opened up a whole new world to me. And I was like, how how do you like, how is it possible to live differently? How can we organize things differently? Why is it like this? So all these questions and curiosity, I think was what led me to become an artist.
0: Um, When you say conservative Christian, could you be more specific about what that means? I ask specifically because my father's a priest.
1: Oh, okay, yeah.
0: Very liberal, though. To don't don't yeah. judge. No, no.
1: I think. I mean, I have. I don't have any problems with religion or Christianity. It's just oh, like. Oh, I do. <laughs> yeah, but you know, but no, but this. I think it's it's also um, religion is also culture. So so, it, it, I think religion also is like in the symbiosis with the culture it's in.
0: Well, and politics often. And politics, well.
1: yeah. But in Christianity, it's like this, this. There is this strand of really brilliant. Uh, radical people who are amazing and has, like, a long history of having, um, like, a good education, uh, like, school and stuff, but um, it's just, like, there's a lot of religious sects, a lot of people who um, organize in small religious sects, and they have a lot of power, so the culture in the city is very conservative, and there's a lot of money, like a lot of rich Christian people who have control of um, what's going on in the city, and, uh, yeah.
0: Yeah, it's funny. since I got to Norway, that I have heard the word sect more often than yeah. I have in decades. Yeah. Because in America, generally, when you use the word sect, it means like a cult.
1: Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well,
0: but that's not what you mean by it. I hope.
1: Well, it's no, it's not a cult. It, I mean, it is. Uh, well, maybe I'm just. You know, this is probably the nuances in the language for me, Absolutely. which is like because English is not my first language. But I mean, it's a lot of people organizing in private churches, Mm. and these churches are often very closed.
0: No, don't get me wrong. And there's
1: loads of them. In religious
0: terms, sect is the correct terminology. Like So like from religious, you you are 100% right. Okay, okay,
1: okay. It's just... uh... But
0: in colloquial conversation, sect is generally like a cult. (laughs) Yeah. yeah, No, since my dad is a a priest, like I understand sect is the right way to say it. Yeah,
1: okay, yeah.
0: Yeah, so... That's interesting. It's just funny that I, I never hear the word sect. No. It's just not used very often until I got to Norway. Until you got to Norway, <laughs> yeah.
1: yeah. That's funny, yeah. Because yeah. we have them here, uh, and especially in the south. Uh, I mean, there's still, yeah. there's so many things about that. <laughs> that is like, uh, oh, I don't know where to begin talking about my hometown. But I think it's a place, if you don't fit in, uh, then you are very on the outside. So you have to create your own kind of culture in a way. And I think that happened for me and a lot of my friends who grew up there, who are like That's really called amazing. Being a teenager. Pe- yeah, I know, but this is just, I think it's just like more extreme because it's like more resistance.
0: Well, it's also a small town. A small town. Yeah. yeah. I mean, being a teenager in a small town is not easy. Yeah. I have no personal experience at it, but I've heard stories.
1: Yeah. You heard stories. Because you grew up in... The-
0: Washington, DC. Oh,
1: okay. <clears throat> so congratulations. <laughs> that sounds really nice. That's like a liberal uh, city, no? I don't. Maybe I don't know anything about.
0: Uh... I always love outsiders' perspective of the United States. Um, it, it, well, it's the hub of politics. Yeah. So there is an equal amount of liberals as well as progress, as well as conservatives. Yeah. So it just depends on who's in power those four years. Yeah. You know, because like yeah. basically, like when when there's a Republican or conservative. Uh, president then a lot of republicans and conservatives move into town and yeah. then when there's a democratic president a lot of democrats move in so you yeah, have both depending on the year
1: yeah that's really interesting there's yeah. like waves of sh- like shifts in yeah, the city yeah every 4 years wow but at least there's a lot of discussions and awareness uh, i would hope so you would hope that's a good wouldn't place you? yeah yeah,
0: no, not really. No. no, it's more just bickering and fighting and disagreeing oh. and then trying to find some compromise, but they generally fail at that too. I mean, it's American politics. Come yeah. on. Anyways, back to you. <laughs> so the, uh, so you, you said that you didn't even get to where you went to schooling So in your background.
1: Yeah, so, well, I moved from Christensen when I was 18, moved to Denmark, studied photography for a year, uh, at Fatmogana, which is like a really nice school in Denmark, in Copenhagen, and then I, um, I started working for a big newspaper, like a big financial newspaper, as a photographer, um, and I did that, and I was like taking photos of all these rich people and directors and stuff, and I was like, and you know, doing like four, three, four jobs like that every day. Um, I'm a bit like well, this isn't what I signed up for. I'm, I mean, I'm an artist, and we visited this art collector because I was lucky enough to, because they have like had this segment on art collectors, and when I was in at his house, I was like, okay, I'm gonna quit this job, um, and then uh, for some reason, I decided to move to Beijing. Oh, uh, as
0: one does. As yes. one does.
1: Yeah, because uh, I was like still kind of like rebellious in my mind, and I was like, I want to deconstruct everything I know about the world. So I'm going to go to Beijing. I'm going to study Chinese. It's like the language that's the furthest away uh, from what I know, and I'm going to learn how to see the world uh, anew. Um,
0: How'd that work for you?
1: Uh, quite good. Yeah. Yeah. It Great. was. It was. I mean, Chinese, like. Um, Uh, Is uh, Mandarin is like amazing. It's like the most beautiful language ever. Um, And I believe you. I don't know it. (laughs) Yeah, no, but it's 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 like because it's like symbols instead of like uh, words. So it's like very visual. It's I think it uh, appeals to like a visual artist, and people are interested in the visuals. Um, And it's like drawing lines and like creating these like small symbols. It's really cool. But, yeah, so this is going to take a long time. But uh, after when I was there, I applied for, like, um, a bachelor in Chinese. And I applied for the Royal Danish Academy of Fine Arts. Wait, um, I'm sorry,
0: a bachelor in Chinese? Yeah. That would be, okay.
1: Yeah. So I would study Chinese for, um, I'd done a year, and then I would study for three more years. Because um, I knew I wanted to be an artist. I thought, but I can do that anyway, because the language here is so interesting in China and Beijing is interesting. And... Um but then I also applied for the Royal Danish Academy of Fine Arts and I got in and um, to the latter to both Oh okay mm. hey, congratulations yeah. <laughs> <Honour>. <laughs> I, mean, I don't think the the Bachelor in Chinese was not that hard to get into so but anyways <laughs> um but yeah so I, but I chose to go to uh, to Denmark because it's a really really good school and also my health was suffering a bit from living in Beijing because there's so much pollution and stuff um,
0: yeah. um. Okay
1: Yeah It's a very polluted city
0: uh, That's why they, You you know Years before the pandemic You often saw the masks yeah. Always being worn In that region
1: yeah. yeah Yeah It's like Some days The government Will be like Oh today It's a bad idea To go outside Because if you And if you go outside You you get like Sinus problems And Yeah Wow There's a whole there's That's a long story About Beijing And uh, And pollution But it's a It's a really amazing city Like Yeah And I was there in 2007, 2008, and it was right before the Olympics. So there was, like, this whole... It's a lot of problematic stuff, but it was also, like, this... It was, like, if you had the UN, but, like, for, like, teenagers and, like, young people. It was like that. It was really, really amazing. I met so many cool people. Like, uh, I got, like, a friend called Alex Jumbo from Burundi, and um, Jeed from Thailand that I lived with, and, yeah just like it was insane it was so beautiful
0: um so what were you doing so you were, you said one year of studying Chinese so that mm. that that's it the one year yeah okay
1: and then I uh went back to Copenhagen uh or to Norway and then Copenhagen I studied uh at the Royal Danish Academy of Fine Arts for six years yeah and yeah
0: and so that puts you at what 2014 yeah okay
1: And then I lived and worked as an artist in Copenhagen and abroad uh, and in Norway and just like traveling around a lot, doing a lot of projects, exhibitions, uh, collective work, all sorts uh, for like many years. And then I moved to Norway, moved back home um, to Norway two years ago-ish.
0: Pandemic-ish yeah. time. Yeah, yeah,
1: yeah. I was doing a show in Norway, and then the pandemic pandemic came like a week before we we're starting to install, and I was like, well, "Holy shit!" Yeah, I'm stuck here. But I wasn't even it wasn't even that I was stuck. It was just because I wanted to do this exhibition, uh, and I was like, because I worked on it for a year, and I was like, "Oh shit!" It's all this work and all this energy. You know, when you're getting ready to install, you have built up so much energy and i was like i don't i have no way to do like i don't know what to do with this energy but then i landed and the exhibition happened and everything was really nice and i was so happy to be in norway and i just decided to uh, to stay yeah
0: all right so you, you were you doing like residencies or just being a vagabond like what was this traveling around all about
1: uh, both so like a lot of my practice is about walking in cities Like looking at cities and city structures and so kind of like a flaneuse. Like not a flaneur, but the flaneuse, the female version of a flaneur.
0: I'm sorry, I'm looking at you with an inquisitive look on my face because I do not know what that word means. Flaneur. Flaneur.
1: Okay, so I mean it's like... um, Sounds French. It's French and it's like kind of from the beginning of modernity, this lonely character walking around the city looking at uh, drifting in the city and looking at how the city is developing in the modernization and kind of...
0: That sounds like my daily life.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. So a lot of people do it. And it's like, I think a lot of, you know, people like me and others are like drifting in the cities and having this, um, I mean, there's a whole history to it. But uh, I my perspective is just like walking the city, looking and drifting. And I've been doing that in a lot of like in Paris, London, um, Sao Paulo like all great cities to do that yeah, in for sure really. and like combining it with residencies or exhibitions in Vienna like I did a project on the fountains in Vienna like I made a portable shower that you could take with you and then I made a map of all the fountains you can go and take a shower in um, and like with a lot of histories and details to the okay, different wait, places wait
0: take that back so d- did people actually do that take showers in these different fountains that was legal to do that in?
1: Um, no. Okay. Because I mean, I did it for like an exhibition at P- Parallel Vienna. A okay. friend of mine, a curator, was like invited.
0: So it was it was a conceptual. Yeah, it was idea conceptual. But piece. people got the
1: map, uh, and the shower was there, so it could could be used. But um, it was still in such a like institutionalized art context that. Like, it never happened, like, physically. And I I could have done the performance myself, but uh, I was only there for two weeks. Well, I mean, that's the thing. It's like, some
0: of these ideas are really great. Like, Mm. this is really, you know, sort of very interesting, the idea that you could shower in these public fountains and all Mm. that. But most people who go to either view it or whatever won't actually do it. Mm. Like, had I known about that, I would have been like, yeah, let's do that. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Like, but yet... Most people would would just like be like, oh, the concept is really quite compelling and like very intellectually engaging Mm. in it instead of like Mm. physically engaging in it because like the experience of showering in a public fountain Mm. that sounds like so much fun. Yeah,
1: yeah, right. Yeah, yeah. And I think like for me, I like my education in Copenhagen was quite conceptual uh, and like intellectual and like a lot of reading and yeah. But I think, I think my work is both. It's both really like intellectual and conceptual but it's also sometimes it flows into the more uh, practical uh, or like the performative or like the actual physical kind of uh, experience Uh, and I like both I try to do both I try to make it come together Um, and then if you work with public space or you you get that chance it's uh, yeah it can be quite exciting
0: so it sounds like you've done a lot of like what I would call like applications for things, so like whether it's submitting, commissioned or, you know, so sort of proposals or grant applications, all these kinds of things. Is that correct? Am I, am I understanding it correctly?
1: Yes and no. I think I started doing a lot of that and then, uh, but most of my work or the stuff that I've gotten is some is applications and a lot of it's just like friends. Uh, recommending me or like giving like asking me to be involved in things Uh, I mean don't get me wrong I've written a lot of applications and it's part of being an artist but um, the way I find that because my work is kind of weird and multi-layered and kind of can be quite difficult to penetrate so often it's like friends or people I worked with who tell other people oh look at this you know
0: I have almost never met a single artist who goes my work Easy, yeah. Like everybody, go. Oh, it's so complex. Yeah. We all. Do, I do it. I'm, yeah. You know, it's like I'm not pointing fingers at you. No, like no, no, We all do it. It's really fascinating that like n- almost nobody I know can go. Yeah, my work's really simple.
1: <laughs> yeah, look at it. It's like one to one. That yeah. I mean, sometimes like I think that would be quite nice if. It was just like, this is what it is.
0: But then, it's, so I think if it would fall into the idea of like decorative art or yeah. graphic arts, yeah. and it would just be like, just a pretty thing. That's the stuff that sort of is like, it is there, but <laughs> like yeah. no layers, no depth. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Ikea. That's true.
0: That's you know, true. Yeah. Nothing. I, Ikea will already not be a sponsor of this. I've made fun of Ikea art <laughs> numerous times. So.
1: Oh, yeah. It's horrible. Yeah, it is. Yeah,
0: we yeah. have Bed Bath and Beyond in America. But I Ikea. do love
1: IKEA though, because I grew up with it. I have such a like. When I lived in Beijing, by the way, I was when I got really really homesick. I would go to the biggest IKEA in Beijing. It's the biggest in the world. It's called and it's called like uh, which is like the name for IKEA. Uh, and I would go and eat uh, sandwiches with shrimps on them, like Scandinavian. Smurgles uh, bread.
0: Um, Yeah. Most interesting food thing I've experienced since I got here, besides the fact that I had whale for the first time.
1: Oh, wow.
0: Yeah, which was good. Great. Yeah, yeah, the the chef did a fabulous job. It was very nice. Uh, the, The other, the one that I find most odd, we'll call it, will be the quantity of foods, in particular caviar, that comes in a tube. Yeah. You will love your food in a tube. Yeah.
1: It's weird. But I lived too long in Denmark to accept that. So it's, um, yeah, I don't yeah. really eat food from tubes. Well, it was
0: explained to me that a lot of you all are very uh, outdoorsy and you like going on hikes and, and do, mm. you, know, you know, it could be skiing in the winter, cross-country skiing, or, or it could be, you know, hiking in the summer, whatever. And so, like, the convenience of putting food into a tube makes perfect sense for that. Yeah. But yet you still do it at a dining room table as well. Yeah.
1: It's kind of weird. I think the weirdest one is like this cheese with bits of shrimp in it.
0: That sounds disgusting. Yeah,
1: I know. It's quite good actually, but it's so weird also.
0: It depends on the cheese, I guess. Yeah. But yeah, the cheese and yeah.
1: Well, it's a soft cheese, obviously, because it's coming out of yeah. a tube. <laughs> basically Vel- Velveeta
0: cheese in a in a with shrimp in it. That just sounds wrong. Yeah.
1: No. no. It's a weird thing.
0: I, I found caviar in a in a tube to be weird.
1: Yeah it is It is kind of weird
0: and the brown cheese
1: yeah what is <laughs> you, li- you have like have you
0: ever had the brown cheese yeah of course do oh. you like it um no
1: you need it yeah <laughs> it's can be really delicious if you have an on a waffle and it's like the waffle is warm and you put the brown cheese on and it's like mm.
0: i couldn't see where that would be i mean it's a very dense sweet cheese yeah uh And very sort of dairy rich. So it's like very rich. Yeah. Uh, And I mean, I could see it in small doses being quite lovely, but Mm. I believe the piece that was given to me was quite large.
1: Yeah. Yeah.
0: And it was a bit much.
1: that sounds like too much. Uh, And also there's different variations on it. And I think most Norwegians only eat it like when they're at like uh, a cabin or, you know, like uh, 17th of May. I mean, it's not like some. I don't think people eat it every day.
0: Okay. You say 17th of May, like I should know what that means? It's
1: a national holiday okay. in Norway. It's like a really big thing.
0: <laughs> in Norway. In Norway. Which i not Norwegian. No, you should
1: come back for it one time. It's like insane. Everyone's wearing like festive, like traditional costumes and waving flags.
0: So it's like the American 4th of July.
1: Yeah. But like weirder. Weirder. Yeah. I think. Cooler, weirder. And oh, I'm cooler. sure it's cooler. Yeah. The 4th of
0: July in America is horrible. The only thing it is is just like people blowing things up with fireworks. Yeah. And yeah. barbecuing lots of meat.
1: Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So then 17th of May is cooler.
0: Yeah. Which I love the barbecuing the meat. But anyways. Yeah. So back to the applications and such, because yeah. I'm fascinated by it because I'm of a different generation than you. You're younger than me by mm-hmm. far. Mm-hmm. And I was not sort of indoctrinated into the whole sort of like, grant application residency stuff. Also, I was in America, it seems like it's been more popular and more common for many decades in Europe to do this kind mm. of stuff. So like how do you go about doing that? Because I feel like this is something a lot of people have difficulties with as yeah. far as like how to choose the right thing to put the effort and the time into writing an application or yeah. a commission or whatever it is for and then sort of how to craft it to, to make it so that you get some positive feedback.
1: Yeah, I think, I mean, I, I don't, uh, if I apply for something, it's because I really, really want it. And I think often that's like, uh, I think you can apply for a lot of stuff and then write a lot of application. I have friends who have like standardized stuff and they just fill in a bit more.
0: It never works.
1: I don't do that, so, cause it never works. And I also, I always feel that if I, if I'm applying for a residency, um, I think if I write the application just the way like I feel is right for me to present my work and my practice and I have like I really want to go there, then if the match is good, they will invite me. And if it's not, they won't, and then it's good that I'm not going. So it's like, you know, I think it's like uh, it's not just like you trying to get something, it's more like finding like a good combination of like a residency and artists so so the stay there also will be good because then you will be with people who understand your practice who are interested in it you know i think so i think a lot of people apply on for way too many things and i used to do that but i stopped cuz cuz now cuz i just figured like um, it's a lot of energy so i'm i'm going to use that energy on like working in my studio working on art like the actual core of what I'm interested in, and then uh, I will apply for a few things that I think is right for me, um, yeah.
0: Well, along that line, like, and if you don't mind me asking, like, how do you uh, make a living through all of this? So like, do you have other part-time jobs or a full-time job and then do all this on the side, or are you able to, or have you gotten any of like, the, the artist stipend funding things from the government?
1: Ooh. Uh, So, well, I don't make a living. Like, I live way below the poverty line in Norway, like way below. Which is
0: still above the poverty line in most other countries in the world. Yeah, yeah.
1: No, but here you have to pay the rent here. So, and you have to... I know. Electricity, food, you know, it's expensive. Um, But I, I mean, I do, sometimes I do teaching. I make a bit of money on that, like teaching art. And um, I make a bit of money, like on this project with Oslo tiny bit, and I have a small... For the first time, I got like a work round in Norway, the smallest one, but I was blown away. It was so amazing, so that gives me time to work. Uh, so I'm working full-time as an artist. Uh, before, I had full-time jobs, but then I was also working full-time as an artist, and I uh, was exhausted, because that's insane. Because if you work a full week, uh, and then you also... I mean double up so that's working two full-time jobs Um, but yeah I always find a way to make art so that's my that's I dedicated my life to it it sounds really stupid but I did Uh, or like it sounds a bit like oh I dedicated my life to art but I have so so um, so I just do whatever I can to uh, work as much as possible with uh, with art
0: well, is it I mean I don't know anything about the Oslo Norwegian art scene kind of stuff but like is it common that a lot of artists aren't like financially stable let's call it or or are there a, a good amount of sort of like working practicing well paid artists oh
1: that's a good question I think in Norway I mean it's probably the most the place where the where you have the most like people who ha- who have like work grants who are like bigger than the one I have and like earn money uh, but it's still like every most of like I, most of them are still living below the poverty line and I think then in my age I'm like 36 and then people start having kids uh, then they have to like uh, get, get a, a job, job. Um, so I chose not to have kids so I don't have to like you know do that so it's more time for the art no it sounds horrible to say but it's the truth Mm -hmm. Uh, because i because i see friends and they and they're wonderful artists and they're still making art but i think you know it's with everything you have to prioritize uh if you do something then you have to let go of something else and it's also about time and time and money and all that so um so I, i yeah i think at my age people either have like enough success to be able to to do both and not have a job and then a lot of people have to get a job as well. Yeah. Or they move to the countryside. Some people do that as well. Cheaper living and Yeah.
0: A reasonable idea, I guess, but, but I, mean.
1: I have to like add something. Cause I think teaching is also part of an art practice. I think, you know, it's for me, it's not like making a work for a project. That's not like art, my art practice. It's like everything is. Like teaching, um, working together with other people, like all these elements is like
0: preaching to the choir. Here, I run a yeah, podcast.
1: Yeah, no, but I. Yeah, yeah but yeah. it's. I think. I think. A lot of people need to op- to see that like an art practice is not just exhibiting white spaces uh, yeah. like white cubes. Okay, there are two and points selling to, works. You know,
0: I agree. There are two points to what you just said. A there, there's the traditional idea that like people who teach are basically failed artists, which I also hate that whole prospect. Well,
1: that, especially within the art scene, because it's like the best art, best artists get the best teaching jobs. You know, that's what in here, Copenhagen... Here. Here, okay. But in Copenhagen, it was like uh, all all the teachers, professors we had were international, and they had like big international careers. They were like really like... On top of their um, on top yeah, of so the yeah, game.
0: In America, it's the complete opposite of that. Yeah, okay. The, the big artists who are famous and they're busy making work, so they yeah. don't teach.
1: Yeah, yeah. But here, you know, they did, at least in Copenhagen, they did this thing where you have um, part of your position is research time. So you actually just teach like 60%, and 40% is like research, and then there's, or like 30% is research, and then it's like 10% admin. Um, so they Holy actually fuck. have time to work as an artist and I think that's like the way to solve it with getting really great artists with a lot of success to come and teach at the academies it's actually part of their salaries to to do research and work I'm all with for that, own. I wish yeah.
0: everybody else would do that there's so many things about the way that not just Norway but Scandinavia in general sort of associates plans funds, the arts and culture that I think is so amazing hmm that sort of saddens me that no place else seems to say like, hey, they seem to be doing it right up there. Why don't we copy that? Like, no, everybody doesn't. they just like, oh, if you want that, go to Norway.
1: <laughs> yeah. I think it's it's also like, I it wow. is like that in Scandinavia. There's a lot of things that could be better, definitely here also. And I think it's also a constant uh, fight to keep those good... Um, structures in place because i think depending on like when you say with the shifting governments you know if we have a right-wing government they want to take everything away and commercialize it and like private funding should cover the culture and arts you know so it's like a constant battle to to keep what you have and also at the same time because it's not good enough here it, it also make it better um,
0: i've never heard a single person in the arts go you know what we have enough money about any project no. ever
1: no no but that's that's ambition and that's good you need that in artist
0: indeed yeah 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 so back to this uh, the work that you're doing now so like yeah. so what what kind of projects are you wor- working on in the future so because it seems to me like you're the way you're structuring your career is like you have one project over here that is sort of coming to completion while you're proposing other projects and it's sort of this hmm. leapfrogging thing. So that, you know, in theory, if it were all working smoothly, you know, every couple months there would be something sort of coming to completion while yeah. you're also having to, to also work on new proposals and so on and so on. And it's, in some ways it's a great cycle, but in some ways it's a horribly vicious, vicious cycle.
1: Yeah, it's kind of exhausting. I mean, at the moment, we're still doing the Oslo S project, which is continuing the whole year. I'm changing new text, new images, new videos with text and images, and we're putting out cups for f- people to take. So that's running the whole year. And I just completed like a big public installation like uh, at Salt down in the city, and I spent a year on that. Um, and it's still up. It's still up for like a few more weeks. Uh, and now I'm like... Um, in the process of um, starting, like, new research. I don't have, like, specific... I mean, I'm doing a book project with a publishing house in Copenhagen, like an art book, and we was trying to figure out what that should be. And I'm also going to Paris for, like, a f- 5 months residency in December, which is brilliant, you know? Um, so, I don't know. It, yeah, it's... it's but it, it's rolling, but there's never a break. But that's also kind of the life I signed up for so it's um it is what it is yeah it's a yeah. bit of
0: a difficult thing like I mean in many ways I complain about this and that part of the arts industry and all this kind of stuff but like it's what we signed up for yeah <laughs> you know like yeah. you just gotta suck it up
1: yeah and it's uh, it's the most and big, biggest privilege also to be able to work with the arts
0: it is yeah and create art totally first world problem yeah. to sit here and be like ugh. I have to write a grant and things <laughs> so No, no, horrible, it's,
1: like. it's real problems, but it's just, it's also like a huge privilege. Like, um, you have to sacrifice a few things and you have to know what you sign up for. Like, I would say to anyone who doesn't really, really want it, don't become an artist. But if you really, really want it, it's going to be amazing and super hard and fucked up and amazing again. So, um, yeah. It's
0: <laughs> Agreed. No, yeah. I mean, it is what it... it, it it's great and sucks at the same time. But I mean, I think almost anybody can say that about, about pretty much any job that mm. exists in the world. But the arts is, it, it's a little bit more personal. Mm. You know, like when I, I've worked plenty of jobs that I didn't give a shit if they fired me. Yeah. But like if somebody like said something negative about something in my art practice, yeah, I would probably take it a lot more personally. And yeah. so like, it's a, it, there's a lot more emotional involvement yeah. in this career yeah. that makes it, so you know, personally i i've like much higher anxiety now later in my life than i did in the youth because now i'm like oh my god i can't fuck this up oh my god i can't fuck this up yeah whereas in my youth i was like whatever fuck it up
1: okay yeah (laughs) i've never been like that though i've always been extremely dedicated
0: oh i'm extremely dedicated no but like but i'm extremely afraid
1: yeah yeah but i never i never had like the casual like oh like even when i was younger i was just like
0: Oh, so you were extremely always extremely serious, serious about focused,
1: it. and serious. Yeah. Oh, yeah.
0: yeah. No, I was like a yeah. drug addict. Oh, you know, all yeah. kinds of crazy shit in my life, my yeah. youth. Yeah, I like, could have,
1: I could have ended up there, but I became like a professional runner when I was a teenager. So I was like, like even like from I was like 14, I've been like working as professional runner and was paid to do that. You know, so I, it's <laughs> like, so I've always been like this, extremely focused.
0: Just to be clear, you said a professional runner. Yeah, like, l- like long like distance. Long distance. Middle long like distance. Yeah. Marathony kind no, of. No, like- no,
1: middle long distance. It's like from fifteen hundred meters to like ten K-ish. Yeah.
0: Professional. So like you were...
1: Yeah, I was had as like sponsors and I was on the national running team. <laughs> it's I know it's such a weird I'm sorry, it's just like probably super boring to hear about. But it's it's just to explain. Like for me, I've always been like Right. No, you uh, say so mono
0: Yeah, no, so you have like that sort of athletic sort of focus of, yeah. of, of, you know, you have a task, you have a goal, you have a deadline, you know, I mean, you, you have a race, whatever. Like, I mean, it makes sense. Athletes, I would imagine, would be very good at that kind of stuff because it's like military, like very, very regiment, very organized, very methodical. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, the mindset sounds far better than what my mindset is because, like, I came into the arts in this, like, hippy dippy stoner romantic idea of like oh i'm gonna be like it's gonna be so much fun we're all gonna like live together and don't get me wrong i lived in those communal homes and did all that kind of jazz and that shit just doesn't work
1: yeah no i i was in this collective and we did we we were like traveling around it's called after the butcher and we were like uh, for a month in brussels living together having like psychotherapy with each other and making work (laughs) it didn't work out very well and then we went to Wales and we lived there for a month with like one of the artists was like pregnant like it was like really really pregnant and it was like crazy nothing
0: against being pregnant it's a beautiful thing
1: yeah I know but in we were like 10 people living in a small house and she was pregnant and it was like it was amazing it was such a beautiful moment but it was also insane and and um Also because we were trying to do like psychotherapy on each other and that's like, it was about like collective healing and stuff. Um, But it was, yeah. Yeah, Yeah, I think we
0: all go through that phase in our artistic careers. Yeah. Yeah. So, okay. But you brought up also with like sort of working collaboratively. So is this something that you do frequently?
1: I think, I mean, I worked in different collectives um, over the years on and off. Uh, and I also usually, like when I do my own projects, or have a solo exhibition or whatever. I usually invite people in either to write because I have a tendency to always make publications when I do a project. Because there's <laughs> so much research. So I always make like a book.
0: I lo- love it how you're like, yeah, I tend to just publish a book. Like what?
1: <laughs> yeah, like a small artist book. And then I always get people to write or I invite them to do to come and do a performance or to... Um, be part of the conversation with, with their work or with a text or with whatever because I'm quite interested in like when I work with the subjects like the last one I worked with now at Salt is like queer pirates um, so I've been like talking to this American professor called Marcus Radica who's like brilliant He r- written like books on loads of books on pirates and the Atlantic and, um, and then I also had several friends writing text and there was like a lot of conversations around that yeah so
0: it's you you must elaborate on that queer pirates.
1: Yeah, it's it's thing. It's oh, a historically I, it, a No real doubt,
0: thing. a bunch of men on a boat like Also
1: know. women, there was also women like here I did like I made two See, sculptures. You think of
0: pirates I would not imagine women. Oh
1: yes, there were women also. Oh no,
0: I know there were, but I would still imagine the majority of the boat would be men. Yeah. That's it.
1: Working class men. And slaves and like all sorts of people coming together and yeah. rebelling. Oh,
0: and the idea of them yeah. being queer, absolutely. Yeah, I mean, they, they're out for months, if not years. Like, yeah. Yeah. Sure. Why not?
1: But also, they they had the first written. I think the first written document to allow a kind of same sex civil agreement, like uh, like something called matlotash, which is like that. Uh, two men would be partners and then if one died the other would inherit and stuff like that so
0: so that was a pirate agreement
1: yes they had it written down in their like pirate laws <laughs> yeah
0: first of all there are pirate laws but yeah <laughs> it's <laughs> it
1: was like it was like a, one of the first like uh, democratic uh, organizations like it was everyone had everyone shared everything and everyone had the power to vote. So if the captain was not pleasing the crew, they could just fire him or like throw him overboard or whatever. So it was like it was actually there's so many things we can learn from pirates. And also uh, the queer element that I've been working on is is uh, part of it. Um, And that was my yeah, that's the installation I did down at Salt. It's like a queer pirate ship. Uh, And there's like actually two female pirates who are quite famous. And I think uh, Pirates of the Caribbean uh, what's that called like franchise they're gonna do I think they're gonna do like um a film about it soon it's called Anne Bonny and Mary Read and they were like uh, they were lovers yeah because
0: um, they're having to replace Johnny Depp
1: yeah yeah so they now they're just doing this yeah I mean it's in the time also to be like th- female empowerment and queerness and but yeah but uh, yeah it's it's a lot of really exciting stuff like um the more I read about it and researched it, the more interesting it was. I even got myself... Um,
0: For the viewers, uh, she has a Jolly Roger skull and crossbone tattooed on her left forearm. Yeah. Okay. So, so you're all into the pirate, the, the what, lesbian... No, queer pirate.
1: Queer pirates. I was going to yeah. say lesbian pirate, but yeah. But queer also, pirates. this is like... So the, the one book that I based a lot of my research on is called Villains of All Nations by Marcus Rediker. Um, and... Um, So what this represents was that was the pirate flag, right? The Jolly Roger Uh, and like at sea, you know, the national states, they would flag. And I mean, the flags as a symbol at sea is like so important. And then they made their own flag that was like kind of joking about death and also being like scary at the same time. And they were like, unite under this, like, and they would call themselves villains of all nations. So they were kind of breaking with the international trade. They were kind of like going against national state and like creating this. Yeah.
0: Wait, did they actually call themselves villains of a no, of no nation?
1: Of all nations. Of all nations.
0: Yeah. Oh, yeah. I didn't know that.
1: No, there's so many. I think. I think. We, I mean, I I love that pirates are part of the popular culture and imagination. Uh, and that's also super interesting. But I think if you start reading about the actual pirates, there are like so many layers to it. That's insanely interesting. And they were so radical in their organization and
0: you yeah, know the, the communities stories, they created. Sure, the stories we know are stories. Yeah. And they are romanticized and idealized and all kinds of stuff. And they are nothing about the reality of any of the lives of the pirates. Quite honestly, they probably should even revisit using the word pirate.
1: Mm, yeah. This, um, but you know, it's language change, words change, and well, and there's nobody. You, there's
0: nobody in the pirate army to uh, say, "Hey, play, hey, change our name." Yeah. Yeah, because there aren't any pirates anymore, really, and they're not or or they're not organized. There are still pirates. Yeah. But they're not organized yeah. in the there's way they always, used to
1: there's always there. There has always been pirates. And there will always be pirates, but I think... And there's
0: always been burglars and drug dealers. Yeah, Yeah, but you can't
1: compare them. Pirates, it was different. I mean, I was looking at uh, this period from the 1600s to the late 1700s, which is like the golden age of pirates. Uh, Uh, yeah yeah. and they were like because this is when I just love
0: that they have a golden age
1: yeah uh, so (laughs) many
0: did they have a silver and a bronze age as well
1: probably I just don't know about it yet I'm still researching it's it's still a lot to learn yeah
0: all right now when you talked at one point saying that your projects would like take like a year to work on like how long on average do uh, does a project for you take from like I I wouldn't say from like idea because like you might have the idea and then you won't get around to proposing it to somebody for like two or three years or five Mm. years Mm. before then you start working on it but like so like when it comes to actually like ready to like produce something how long do your projects take
1: but I mean I think a year is is brilliant if you're doing a big solo exhibition or installation but it has to be said that like I, I have all these strands of research that I work on constantly I've been doing for years and then if I'm if people ask me to do something I will look at okay so I would work quite site-specific um, and then I would like propose something that is connected to those strands of research that I'm interested in and then I would create an exhibition or a project from that and a year is... Uh, It's like, for me, that's the perfect amount of time. Uh, I mean, it's not always like that. So if I could do like one exhibition or project a year, that would be brilliant.
0: Do you have any advice uh, from your experiences? I mean, because you're very much in the the thick of sort of being a practicing artist. So Mm. anything you could, from your experiences, uh, bad experiences, mistakes, anything like that, that you could sort of give out to the listeners about either things to do or things maybe to stay away from doing?
1: Yeah. I mean, I think the, I think the only advice I could give is just to, to work, uh, like work on your own practice, do what, do what you like, do what you're good at and don't look so much to others. I mean, it's just like, cause there's a lot of things you can't control. So it's just about like working on your own stuff and then uh, trying to um, do that the best you can. And then, I mean, you have to dedicate all your time and money to it. Uh, <laughs> that's the way to go. I mean, this there's, there's a lot of, yeah, because there's so much things you can't control and a lot of things are just by accidents or chance and luck. Uh, but and you
0: can't be a half-assed artist. Like it's no. either you're all in or you're all out.
1: Yeah, that's it.
0: Agreed. Yeah. Yeah. Lovely. Cool. <laughs> thank you very much.
1: Thank you. Lovely.
0: To wrap this up, I'd like to thank you for listening all the way to the end of the conversation. We would appreciate it if you would share the podcast with your friends, family, coworkers, studio mates, or anybody with an interest in arts and creative endeavors. The building and strengthening of the arts and creative community is at the core of our mission for this podcast. They can listen and subscribe on Spotify, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcasts. We are produced by 5014, the audio was edited by Kush Audio Services, and the music was created by Pete Bybee. The Wise Fool Art Podcast is supported in part by an EEA grant from Iceland, Liechtenstein, and Norway, in an effort to work together for a green, competitive, and inclusive Europe. We would also like to thank our partners, Hunt Kastner in Prague, Czech Republic, and Kunstcentrene in Norge in Norway. Links to EEA grants and our partner organizations are available in the show notes or on our website, wisefoolpod.com.